Hello and welcome to Hoppy Night in Canada, Season 2, Episode 3, our first episode of 2017. Happy New Year. Happy New Beer. No, that's not, that's terrible. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Coming to you from North Vancouver, my name's Dave. And I'm John. So yeah, Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Um, I hope everyone had a great holiday and had some good family time and enjoyed some great beer. I know I did. I did as well. I was down in San Diego visiting my parents, so I got to sample uh, a bunch of new beer that I hadn't had and some old favorites that uh, I still don't have access to living in Vancouver. So that was pretty nice. 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 Yeah. I I spent a good chunk of the holiday on Vancouver Island and drank... A lot of their local beer. There's some good beer coming out of Vancouver Island. And and now, interestingly, like now there's a lot of good beer coming out of Vancouver Island that's not necessarily just from Victoria. Nice. Yeah. Let's let's get into it. We've got um, this, th- this episode, episode three, is going to be a little bit of a different format. We're not going to be drinking a beer off the top. Today we're going to talk about some of the things that we saw happen in 2016, uh, what we see coming up in 2017. And then we're going to get into a topic that we've kind of hinted at and talked around a little bit in a few other episodes, but we're going to talk a little bit about aging beer. Yeah. So we're specifically going to talk about uh, bottle aging of beers. So last episode, we talked about barrel aging, where the brewery, uh, before they bottle the beer, is aging it in barrels. This time, we're going to talk about after it's been bottled, either um, the brewery holds onto the bottles and then releases them later, or you buy it and seller it yourself. Uh, and then get to uh, crack it open at an indeterminate uh, time in the future and uh, and try it out. See how the see how the flavors have developed. Things change, and we'll uh, we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. So let's start off. We're gonna go back to the um, or our standout beer that we drank since our last time we recorded. Why don't you go first, John? Sure. So the standout beer for me is a nice combination of two breweries that I really like: one from Vancouver and one from San Diego. The Beer is called Strange Times for Modern Fellows, and it's a collaboration beer made from Strange Fellows Brewing in Vancouver and Modern Times Brewery in San Diego. It's a Saison style, uh, a little bit sour, a little bit funky, but really kind of a crisp, refreshing beer. Wasn't what I expected to be drinking uh, at this time of the year, because obviously winter, we've talked about it before, is a really nice time for sort of darker, heavier beers. But it really hit the spot. It's a really, really good example of that kind of crisp, dry Saison style with a little bit of funkiness. And it's a really good combination of those of those two brewery styles because both of them sort of trade in sometimes a little bit more sour beers and uh, and that sort of funky, uh, bready character in, in a lot of the beers that they make. Um, but yeah, it was released, as far as I know, just in Vancouver, even though it's a collaboration between the two. Um, but yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, I had a couple of bottles and intended to hold on to them and then uh, they got drank really quickly. Yeah, I, ch- I tried that one at the tasting room and it's it was really good. Really, yeah. really, really good. Okay, um, my beer of the moment is a was a one-off seasonal from Dogwood Brewing in South Vancouver. Made, they, they, they do a lot of sort of very small batch seasonals just kind of playing around with like having fun with their beer. And they had recently a lavender lemonade ipa and it was really good really 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 good it had nice the lemon sort of picked up on some of the hoppiness and the lavender was just a like a subtle hint i've had some beers with lavender in them in the past and they can be really perfumey and kind of awful yeah i was gonna (laughs) say i've had i i've had i think one or two beers before that included lavender and they're not to my taste personally yeah but but this this one was this one was really good nice very 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 good so 
And I mean, I, I like Dogwood a lot. Their standard lineup is great, but they're, if you get a chance to go to their tasting room, they often have some one-off seasonals that are quite fun. Yeah. All right. So John was mentioning before the, the before we started recording that we're coming up on one year of recording podcasts, yeah. which is pretty cool. Like that's I'm I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah. This that's is, pretty good. I often have a lot of dumb pie in the sky ideas that I'm like, <laughs> hey, I should do this thing, and then it gets nowhere. And thankfully, one of my ideas I suggested to John, and he gave it more legs than I probably would have given <laughs> it. Um, and so yeah, like it's pretty cool that we're coming up on one year. Um, yeah. I mean, 2016 was a was an interesting year for beer. I mean, it seems like in British Columbia, where there's more than a hundred breweries now, you know, the Lower Mainland seems That's to have. Huge. I I know the Lower Mainland seems to have a new one opening up, like, um, monthly at least. Yeah. And and actually, other the what's kind of neat is other parts of the province are starting to be re- represented more now as well. Yeah, I mean, you were saying even, uh, so like on the island, I think Victoria has the association of being the sort of craft beer spot on yeah. Vancouver Island, but it's sort of expanding past that to a lot of the other cities. Yeah, giving a shout out here to Red Arrow, who we've actually, we've talked about on one podcast, um, but they're based out of Duncan, BC, and they make great beer. I haven't yet had a beer from Red Arrow that I don't like. One of their their main line is like a dark umber or something like that, and like it's a it's a maltier amber style ale. And I mean, it's maybe not to my, like the best style for me, but it's, it's a well-made beer and they're, all of their seasonals are really good. One of their winter seasonals was a, an oak aged orange ale. Interesting. It's super good. It's super, super, super good. Like there's (laughs) legit some nice, like citrusy oranginess to it. And just a little bit of oak. That's pretty good. Like one other trend that I saw was, we more and more sours and barrel aged beers. Oh yeah. Just as breweries are becoming more sort of mature. Yeah. They've had the time to have beer in a barrel for a year or for two sure. years or something like that. So you're seeing way more of that kind of stuff coming out. Yeah. A lot of those breweries, I mean, especially in BC that opened around sort of 2013, 2014, like right when things were starting to really kind of expand and take off. I think a lot of those are coming to fruition now, especially any, any of them that started a barrel program early mm-hmm. now get to reap the benefits a couple years later. Yeah. And it seems like some are just, yeah, continuing to grow and expand their, their program. And I feel like, given that most of 2016 I was still living uh, in Toronto. I mean, Toronto ex- was seeing a similar explosion. I feel like it's still a little bit uh, a, a year or two behind in the sense of there are a lot of new, a ton of new breweries that were opening up this year yeah. in Toronto. So you had uh, like Halo, you had Blood Brothers, like a lot of these breweries that are, are making noise about wanting to start up barrel programs. So they're not there yet, but in a year or two, you're going to see that come to fruition in the same way. And in the meantime, they're also producing a lot of really interesting varied styles of beer and and they're all doing kind of slightly different things i mean halo like shout out to them because their shtick i guess is it's an open source brewery so all their recipes are available to the public oh, cool. um so you can make them yourself blood brothers does a ton of really good saison stuff nice. uh at, at any given time so so yeah like they're they're experiencing that similar explosion like interest is still high yeah uh, a lot of people are seeking out new craft beers and it's giving a lot of people uh, an avenue to to open up a brewery it's yeah. pretty cool yeah um, I find, I find it interesting cause I've always, I've heard from lots of people that, oh, Vancouver is 10 years behind Seattle and 15 years behind Portland or something like that. But the first time we went to Portland was I think probably 2013. And, 
one thing I, I specifically or I distinctly remember of, of a bunch of the breweries we went to there is like, okay, barrels. Everything was big on barrels. Yeah. And now Vancouver is getting that. So I think, I feel like while we may be, we are a long way behind Portland because they did it, like the breweries in Portland did these things first, it's happening faster in Vancouver. The Vancouver breweries were like, we're starting now. We want to do barrel aging right away because they took a cue from some of the more developed craft beer markets like Portland and Seattle. Yeah, you can see where the trends are going mm-hmm. and, and what's popular. And so being able to start early as opposed to you develop as a brewery and then years later you think, oh, maybe now it's time to get into this segment. Like if you already know that that's the direction you want to go, you can start in sooner because you know the market is there by observing other cities that are a little bit further down that line. Yeah. Yeah, any other beer trends that you noticed in 2016? Well, one of the big trends in terms of styles that I noticed was ke- was kettle sours. Yeah. We talked about that a little bit in a different episode, but sour beer, I mean, for the last couple of years, sour beer has been, interest in sour beer has been going up. Yeah. Um, and the cheapest way to make a sour beer is a kettle sour. Yeah. And that is one thing that is becoming, that like that is one big trend that I saw in 2016 and hope to see continue because... Kettle sours are great. They're yeah. delicious. Um, Nectaris by Four Winds, which is probably still my favorite beer in the world, yeah. uh, is, a, is a dry hopped kettle sour. Um, there's been a, I've seen a couple others. Um, Brass Neck did a dry hopped kettle sour that was good. Not yeah. as not as good as Nectaris, but good. Yep. Um, Main Street Brewing has a good kettle sour. They do. There's this, that's the fruit fruit bomb. bomb. Yeah. Fruit bomb. It's really good. Um, yeah. So, any other trends that come to your mind? So. One of the trends that I feel like I noticed, I feel like a lot of places are playing with additives in beer. So fruit obviously has always been a, a mainstay in in a lot of breweries uh, and in a lot of beers. But one that I really noticed this year was uh, chili and spices. Yeah. So I again, those aren't new necessarily this year, but I feel like a lot more places were jumping into that mm-hmm. this year. So, I mean, I can think of there were a few breweries in Vancouver this year that tried out um, like horchata milk stouts. Yep. There were a couple of those. Um, I've seen a couple of chai beers. I've seen a couple of things like that. Like that, I feel like I was noticing a lot more, not necessarily spicy, but spiced beers yeah. uh, this year that would normally be confined to the winter months. Like you see spice beers a lot in sort of fall going into winter. But I feel like year round, I was just noticing more breweries trying that out. Maybe to mixed results. I, I tried a couple that I really weren't that impressed with. Um, but like uh, Brass Necks Horchata Milk Stout, I thought was really good. Yeah. Uh, a couple other ones I, I was really impressed by. So I'm interested to see if that continues into 2017. I feel like a lot of places started to play with it this year. I think that that trend is one that really kind of separates the wheat from the chaff when it comes to brewery quality. Yeah. Um, it's one thing to make a pale ale, like lots of people can make a decent pale ale. But when you start doing something like, oh, I'm going to make, I'm going to add this thing to a beer that's going to be a really strong flavor. And I have to figure out exactly like how much to put in and how to do it with a fairly deft hand. Yeah. You're going to see a separation of quality. Oh, hundred percent. So yep. that's something that, like I said, se- separates the wheat from the chaff. Yeah. The, the, the one other trend that I noticed, and I, I, I saw a lot of other people observing this as well, but the the rise of 
um, Northeast style. I've called, I've heard them called like Northeast style or Vermont style IPAs, mm-hmm. which um, like flagship IPA, which you mentioned in the last episode is I think one of that style. That's the sort of super hazy, really kind of juicy, fruity IPAs. Yeah. Um, usually less hoppy, like as opposed to a West Coast style IPA, which yeah. is usually just like Hops. huge hop forward character. It's going to be super bitter. Uh, you know, IBUs off the chart. Something that is lower IBU but favors different hop varieties, and they they produce these sort of really really cloudy hazy IPAs that tend to be really really fruity in character. They tend to also be a little bit yeastier mm-hmm. because it's like it's a different strain of yeast being used. I believe that the sort of beer that they're all modeled after the is um, Heady Topper from the Alchemist, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is one of those sort of legendary mythic beers that. I can't, per- I've never had. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't export anywhere outside of like a hundred kilometer radius around the. Yeah, my, my understanding is you basically have to be in Vermont to find it. Yeah. And so, but it is one of those beers that like it's on Beer Advocate, it's a hundred out of a hundred. And yeah. Rate Beer, it's 99 out of a hundred. And all yeah. this, you know, it's, 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 and it's probably a great beer. I don't know if it's ever going to, if it would ever live up to the hype. It's kind of that Plenty of the Elder kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, I feel like I, I saw both in Toronto and in Vancouver, there were some breweries that are starting to move in that direction. I think um, Twin Sales is making one. Uh, in Toronto, Halo Brewery makes a double IPA that's very much in that style, that sort of super hazy um, style. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I think that saw a rise in popularity here in Canada, and I imagine it's been mirrored in the States in a big way. Probably, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those were, yeah, I think those were a couple of the ones that I noticed. Um so as a, 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 maybe as a capstone to the to 2016 discussion, um, Dave, you sent me an article from, I think it was the Draft Magazine? Yeah. Which, uh, the word hot take gets thrown around a lot these days, but I'm going to go ahead and say this was a pretty hot beer take, which is that growlers are over and, uh, and everyone should just get over it and, and stop using growlers for their beer. Yeah, that um, was, I, I would agree. That is, the, that is a scorching hot take. <laughs> So, uh, how about you want to, you want to expound on this at all in terms of your thoughts? So basically, um, one brewery, I can't, I can't remember exactly like one brewery in the States that made their name on growler fills. They, when they first opened something like 50% of their sales were growler fills, Mm -hmm. um, stop filling growlers. They said, okay, you know, if you, you paid $5 for the bottle, we'll give you that $5 back and take the bottle back if you want but we're not filling growlers anymore. We spent all of this money on this canning line or bottling line or whatever. We think it keeps the beer fresher, longer. You th- we think you get a better product. We're not doing growlers anymore. And they said, you know, they, they, they listed, and they, the article talked about a bunch of things, you know, talked about people aren't properly cleaning their growlers. And, you know, people come in with a chip growler and then, you know, the beer is flat by the time they get home. And that is, that I patently do not believe because I've had, I mean, you could leave the top off. And by the time, like, unless you're, it's four hours for you to get home, you could leave the top off and you're still going to have carbonated beer when you get home. Yeah. And like, I love, I love growlers because they're, it's the freshest beer you can get. Like it's coming directly. A lot of brews is coming directly out of the bright tank into yeah. your growler. Yeah. And the, I, the the article makes a lot of, I mean, arg- arguments of freshness and things like that. I, I still feel like growlers for me fill two very good functions, but they're both variants of the same thing, which is that a lot of times breweries make one-off limited beers that are only available to brewery that they don't ever bottle or can. Yeah. And 
it's all well and good if a brewery wants to invest a ton of money in a canning line or they're going to use like a mobile canning operation or a bottling line. It's awesome. But like, are they going to bottle all their beer? Exactly. Are they going to can all their beer? I assume not. So at that point, you're faced with either if they're making limiteds at the brewery, you have to drink it there or... If growlers are available, you can get a growler and take it home. Yeah. That's one of the nicest things about it. And so take away that option, then it says, cool, like now you're favoring like, well, I have to be able to get to this brewery. Uh, I need the time to sit and drink it in the moment. It needs to be not overly busy. Like there's a lot of things where now you're saying like, this has to be drank within the confines of the business. Yeah. Within the confines of the space. And I like the choice. Yeah. I don't know. There's also uh, for me, the, the, uh, the article doesn't put enough like responsibility on the drinker i mean like if you're gonna buy a growler you should just know that like yeah this is supposed to be drank sooner rather than later if you keep it for a week like i don't know it's not you 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 need to know what you're getting into buying one sure but like as a way to fill up on on beers that are only available at the brewery i think it's a pretty good delivery mechanism yeah i agree Um, i agree i mean the article did talk about one of the one brewery that had invested in a crowler machine yeah which is the can growlers the one liter can growler so it comes it's essentially an oversized can yeah and it ends up like you can fill them and cap them on the spot and they end up it ends up being a one liter can of beer yeah and i've that's actually thinking of 2016 trends i notice those more and more actually like bc liquor stores sell a cup growlers from a couple of breweries I think Moody Ales, um, Granville Island now makes Crowlers. Oh, I didn't know that. They do. That's news to me. Yeah. They may only sell them at the brewery, but uh, they they do sell Crowlers in some some places. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. And I've I've seen that. And sure, that is, I guess, an option. But um, it's only a one-use item. You have to then recycle it. At the end, many people won't. I mean, you're yeah. less likely to throw out a reusable glass growler that you have, I feel like. Agreed. I don't know. The other thing is it's nice to be able to say, well, yeah, if you have a one liter or a two liter, like a two liter growler is a good way to to split beer with a few people. Mm-hmm. So you can pick one up and then bring it to a friend's house for an evening. You split amongst like four people. That's a beer each. Yep. Um, that's pretty nice. That's a pretty nice option to have. Yep. And I get, I don't know, I, I have some amount of sympathy with, from what the article was, was saying when interviewing brewers that maintaining growler fill stations cleaning them like all of that stuff sounds like an amount of work and Mm -hmm. i can absolutely see a brewery making the calculus of saying like for us this isn't worth the energy we are putting into it and maybe they're going to take their energy as well sure fair enough like not every brewery does growler fills for that reason yep but to take that to take what felt like a fairly small sample size in the article of uh, we interviewed a couple breweries that don't like growlers and we're just going to turn that into growlers are over yeah (laughs) um that's a bit much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, so hot take central over at the uh, growlers are over article. Yeah, I yep. may post the link just for kicks. You should. Yep. Yeah. Post the link on. Uh, yeah, on we'll, the we'll 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 post it up on Twitter. Yep. And the website. Yep. Um, yeah. In terms of trends going forward, um, my my biggest prediction, which if we look back in six months, might end up being my hottest take. Um, is that this is going to be a year where we see a lot of quote-unquote milkshake beers. Now, I actually don't know what that is. So the first one we tried was from Twin Sales. Okay. Twin Sales is one of the breweries on Brewer's Row in Port Moody. I mean, they've started canning their beers. 
And so you can get tall cans of their beer and it seems like they're just putting out, like brewing a batch of something, putting it in cans, sending it out to the stores and then it's gone. Like you can't, like we took two different twin sales beers to Victoria for Christmas and you can't even find them on their website anymore. Hmm. So this is, you know, four weeks after we bought them, can't even find them on the website anymore. Um, But one of them was a milkshake IPA. Okay. And it was a, not a terribly bitter very fruity, like the kind of the, the the hops that are designed to taste like like that have tropical fruit notes mm-hmm. and like really juicy flavor, with an addition of lactose. So okay. in the same vein, like lactose is a traditional ingredient in milk stouts, where it yeah. adds some sweetness and a little bit of sort of of body to the stout. It does the same thing in the IPA. It picks up the sweetness, and that's or it. it increases the sweetness and that sweetness picks up on the fruity nature of the hops. Interesting. I really liked it. Granted, I mean, we tried there were, we, we had two cans that shared amongst several people. And so, um, I thought it was cool. And since coming back, I've seen that I think R and B made a milkshake IPA and I've seen that another, at least one other place also doing it. I think that that is going to be one of the trends that we see this year is lactose being added to beers that aren't stouts and porters. Interesting. Yeah. I'd be interested to see it. I, like, I'll give it a shot. I can't say it sounds like the most appealing thing to me, but then again, like I think the first time I heard about a milk stout, I was like, I don't know about this. And then sure enough, it's uh, it's really good. So yeah. any other predictions, 2017 beers? I mean, I think we're going to see a lot more, uh, as we already discussed, I think we're going to see a lot more barrel aged, I think a lot more sour, yeah, um, that type of thing. I also, I don't, I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm sure there's going to be some archaic style of beer that is unearthed from some dusty notebook in Belgium that all of the North American brewers are going to jump onto kind of like Goza was last year. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't have any predictions per se, but I feel like we're going to keep seeing uh, a few things that we started to see the rise of in 2016. So those Northeast style IPAs, I could see this summer. It happened a little bit this past year, but I could see the summer of 2017 being full on everyone diving into Berliner vices. Yeah, I could see that. The rise of sours makes it kind of a thing that could it's it's ripe for the taking. Yeah. Um Yeah. And we always need more replacements for, you know, bad loggers in summertime. True that. <laughs> True that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's I you know. I'm I'm interested to see what comes. I there's nothing that I uh saw I guess near the end of the year that I thought was like, oh, this is like a bellwether, like this is hundred percent what we're gonna see a ton of. But mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see because I think uh as as the brewery scene continues to grow in Vancouver, but also as a lot of cities kind of keep growing and the interest in craft beer holds, I think we're going to see a lot more, I guess like it's a cheap, vague prediction, but like a lot more experimentation. Yeah. Like this year, like I wouldn't have thought that we were going to get a lot, as many spice beers as we did. Yep. And so I feel like there's going to be just a lot more room for breweries to try and stand out in a more crowded field. Yep. And so trying new ingredients, like you say, maybe unearthing or, or trying old styles. Um, there'll be a lot of people, I think, trying to differentiate themselves in some way, shape or form yeah. in that way. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, lots to look forward to. Yeah. Lots to look forward to. Yeah. All right. The main topic for this episode is aging beers. Yeah. So this is going to be a fun topic because John has been nice enough to age four beers or, or age a beer. Yes. Four different bottles of it from four different years. Yeah. So uh, in, in my first year in Toronto, 
I was given as a gift the Grand Reserve 17 from Unibrew, which is a beer they put out near the end of the year, every year. And I had it, it was really nice. And I think it's either on the bottle or when I was looking it up, it said like, this is a good beer for aging. And I figured like, I may as well try and age it for a year and see what happens. But a year went by and I kind of forgot to drink it. But in the meantime, I bought the next year's version. Suddenly I had two years worth and then it kind of continued from there. So when we moved from Toronto back to the West Coast, I only brought a couple of beers with me, but with them came three years worth of, of the Grand Reserve 17. Uh, when I bought the 2016 one this year, I figured it was as good a time as any to try the, the, the run of all four of them and, and see how they've changed, which is normally the, the, the beer term you normally get is a vertical which is that it's the same beer from a, usually a, a continuous run of years. And you try each one in turn and, and together to see how they've changed over time. Yeah, yeah. You'll often hear from big time like wine drinkers that certain big red wines have like peak drinking periods. Mm -hmm. um, you want to drink like a, a lot of like the French red wines and some of the California red wines and stuff like that. You want to age them for 10 years or something like that. But it is also something that kind of applies to beer because higher percentage, higher, yeah, higher alcohol percentage and maltier beers age really well. Yeah. This, uh, uh, this ties back to our last episode about barrel aging. So the same type of beers that do well with barrel aging in terms of stronger, maltier beers, that definitely applies to um, aging or cellaring those same styles as well. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, some, I mean, some of the styles that age well, Imperial Stouts, um, barley wines age really well. Some sours age age well. Yeah, uh, Belgian strong ales, dark ales, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, so... For, you know, the few listeners that aren't directly my family <laughs> um, and maybe don't know this, uh, in my day job, I'm a chemical engineer. Um, and so I went and did a little bit of reading today about this, the science of aging beers. And it's really interesting. I mean, it even like a, a lot of the things I saw even went a little bit over my head. Um, but it's all it's, it's really it's all organic chemistry is what it is. So. Any alcohol at its most basic is a mixture of water and ethanol. Now, beer, because it's not a pure, like it's not a, a pure white grain um, spirit, has a bunch of other things in there that add the flavor, right? Mm -hmm. There's as, there's alpha acids from the hops, um, and the sort of the, which is the bittering agent. You've got there's amino acids that were in the proteins from the malt. There's long chain starches that didn't get broken down by the enzymes for fermentation that are still there also from the malt. And then when the beer is fermented, the yeasts produce a lot of sort of byproducts. You know, the ideal yeast, the ideally the yeast just takes sugar, turns it into carbon dioxide and ethanol, and that's it. But there's a ton of minuscule, minuscule little byproducts that affect the flavors and smells in the beer. And as you age them, some of those things change. Because a lot of those components are midpoints of chemical reactions that just happen really slowly. Hmm. One reaction that people will have heard of is the Maillard reaction, which if, if Maillard reaction is what happens when food turns brown during cooking. So if you think about baking bread, when you get that brown crust, if you're making it, putting a crust on a steak, that's the Maillard reaction. And it is a protein combining with a sugar. 
is basically what happens. So the Maillard reaction is actually a series of reactions. I mean, it's, it's a fairly complex organic chemistry. It's a series of reactions and there's intermediaries. Um, in the malting process, the Maillard reaction takes place hmm. and it oftentimes doesn't go all the way. There's more Maillard reaction in darker malts because um, again, the, the, the color, but there's also often byproducts. And so when you brew the beer and if you took like a spectroscope or something like that and actually looked at what is actually in beer, there's going to be just a whack load, probably a hundred different um, chemical compounds that are in trace trace amounts. Right. Um, and so they, those will add flavors. They're things like, like I said, amino acids, alpha acids. Um, there's going to be ketones in there. There are esters in there. And a lot of these are what are called volatile, volatile organic compounds. And so they are going to change. Even in a roughly sealed environment of a bottle of beer, these things are going to change. Mm -hmm. They're going to, you know, combine with like some of the some of the long chain sugars will break down and they'll combine with a with a protein and have there be a small Maillard reaction within the bottle. Things like that. So a lot can change with a beer if you age it. Interesting. So for curiosity, because uh, for the people uh, who don't know me, uh, I am an English student and and uh, and I study computer science, so I know nothing about organic chemistry whatsoever. So uh, this same process of, of changing chemical compounds within the bottle and sort of reactions that happen, this, I'm guessing, would also account for things like why IPAs go stale. So we were talking a couple episodes ago about, about IPA freshness, why it's better to drink it fresh. Alpha acids being a major component in the taste and bitterness of IPAs, those I'm guessing break down sooner, and that's why uh, an IPA drink. You know, you drink an IPA a year after you buy it, it's going to taste stale. Yeah, totally, totally. The alpha acids are they're volatile. They're a volatile compound, and they're some of the fastest to break down. Interesting. Um, as a general rule, when you're talking about aging beer, bitterness subsides and sweetness increases. Okay, usually. Usually, and that is, and there, actually, there's. You also so there's a style or there's a subsection of beer referred to as bottle conditioned beers, in which the beer is brewed with a certain yeast, and then after brewing, some sugar and possibly some more yeast is added to the bottle to create to carbonate. Um, and if you if you age a a bottle conditioned beer, or it's going to change a lot because there's the active yeast in the bottle as well. Whereas if something is forced carbonated and just carbonated by pressurized carbon dioxide, there isn't the active yeast in it typically. Right. It will have been filtered. The yeast is gone and then just carbonated. And so, I mean, that's still going to change. That's still going to change with, um, with aging. Not, it's not going to change in the same sense that, um, that bo a bottle condition one will. Okay. Interesting. So yeah, so it, um, creating carbonation by a, natural chemical reaction as opposed to just injecting co2 in you're going to get a very different experience aging that beer over time um, because the chemical reaction will continue to take place in the bottle as it ages totally totally so as i said i did some reading today um, and one of the things that came up is that oftentimes aged beer like you said can taste stale and usually like people don't think of that as a good thing but that is one of the things that the art, an article that I read said is that the stale flavor probably was there the whole time. 
but as other flavors become more mellowed, they're not blocking the stale flavor. Some some of the flavors that will sort of mellow, obviously we talked about things get less bitter. Um, if a, if it was a, if the beer was a barrel, like a bourbon barrel aged and it's super bourbony, mm-hmm. there's some of that alcohol flavor will change and it'll become more smoothed out, more rounded. Actually, that was one other thing. One way that somebody said to think about aging beer is it's like the sandpaper to smooth off the rough edges of your beer. Interesting. And so it's possible that the flavors that as a, beer ages and if it picks up flavors that you don't like those flavors were probably there but the flavor the predominant flavors as they mellow out let those flavors show up more and it's possible that those flavors that were there are also good ones that you that you might like like um some yeast some yeasty esters or something like that that are good right right so that can also be a positive thing that a beer that when you first try it because a lot of so a lot of Mer- American style barley wines, which we talked about last episode, are really hoppy beers, mm-hmm. almost in the vein of a double or a triple IPA, just maybe a bit maltier. As you age it, that the bitterness goes away, and they become, in my mind, sometimes a much more enjoyable beer. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes young American barley wines, if you drink them before you age them, then yeah, the the balance of how hoppy they can be sometimes, and how malty, and also the the booziness, like. They don't combine terribly well when they're young, but those same beers, if you age them a year, maybe two, like they can kind of smooth out. And like you say, as the, as the hoppiness goes down, they become kind of a much more drinkable, much nicer beer. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's, I guess, sort of the, the, the basis of beer aging. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. So, uh, so as the resident non-scientist, I have questions. Um, well, hopefully I have answers. Yes. So I think we've talked a couple of times of the notion of like beer uh, FOMO, like fear of missing out, where like you you uh, if you don't get to buy a beer, it's a limited release, and then it disappears. I feel like there's there's a weird variant of of beer fear of missing out with aging beers, which is what if you either don't age it long enough or you age it too long, right? Because yeah. like you say, as the, the like the changing continuing chemical reactions that occur in the bottle can create, like you say, in wine as well as in beer, a sort of peak time to yep. drink it. Yep. And there's this notion that maybe you're drinking it too young and then suddenly you, you only bought one, you age it for six months, you drink it then. Well, like, what if it would have been better if you held it on a year? By the same token, sometimes beers, you definitely hold on to too long uh, and then you drink and think, well, that was no good, but maybe it would have been better if you tried it sooner. Is there a way to know <laughs> when you buy a beer for aging when, when the time is, when the time is to drink it? Uh, short answer, no. That's and like you say, like I definitely have some beers that have been or some beer that I have sitting in my cellar, my quote unquote cellar, which yeah. is just a box in our storage closet or <laughs> our storage locker. Um, I have some beers that are probably have been aged too long and are no good anymore. Yeah. I mean, they're that's not true. They're, I'm sure they're still fine, but they've they've been, they're past a peak. Right. Um, it varies too much from style to style. I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen a few beers like a few different beers that say drink between this year and this year. Right. Right. They'll say age for a year, best aged for two years or okay, something yeah. like that. Or I mean, like we talked the, the, is it the Rochefort 10? Yeah. That says drink or age up to 10 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they give you a sort of max time anytime up to then it's good, but, uh, but, but you know, the flavor will be different if you drink it at two versus five years, but up to 10, it's probably still, it'll be fine to drink. Yeah, but really what the best thing is, 
um, if you want to know when to drink a beer and when it's in a peak, is the internet is your friend. Yeah. Find a beer forum because there are people out there. If you bought a beer that you aged, there are people out there that bought 10 times as much as you did and are trying <laughs> and are trying them monthly or annually or semi-annually or something mm-hmm. like that. And they're going to say, put on their website, oh, hey, I just opened up this one and it's drinking really well right now. So yeah. like, get, uh, yeah, it's like, like go on the internet, find it, find, find a forum. It'll be, yeah. it'll be on rate beer or beer advocate or something yeah. like that. One of the major beer websites that will have a sellering community Yeah, and people will give you advice. I mean, you could probably even say, Hey, I have this from this brewery. I bought it this time this year. When is going to be the peak brew? And like somebody might either give you an idea or they will say, Oh, I opened up one six weeks ago and it was great or nice. it was too young or it was too old or something yeah. like that. You so. can lean on, you can lean on kind of community consensus to say like, ah, eh, this one's not ready versus this one's now. And, or maybe this one's past its prime. Definitely. We actually had, uh, over the holidays, we had an experience of actually hitting all three of those, uh, marks. So my, uh, my parents have a, well, a quote unquote seller of a couple beers that we just forget to drink when, whenever uh, my siblings and I go to visit. And so at the back of the bottom cupboard, there were a few beers left. And, uh, and one, of them, one of them is the Stone Enjoy After, which is a Brett IPA they make, um, which actually does that. They put on the bottle, like, this should be aged minimum up to a certain date. Yep. And so the date was... Um, March 2016, you're supposed to age it till. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we had it, it had been, been aging a year and nine months. And it was sort of past its peak. Still good, but a lot of the flavors kind of got muddied and it wasn't, there was nothing really going on. Yep. Um, there was another beer we had, another Brett IPA, which had been aged for, I think, about a year. Um, and it was perfect. It yep. was super nice, crisp, really kind of funky and flavorful and like it just it hit the spot of like this seems like it aged the right amount of time nice and then uh and then there was just like a regular porter that we all forgot to drink for like four years and we cracked that open and it did not taste good (laughs) um like it was fine it wasn't gonna hurt us but certainly like we all kind of took a sniff and took a sip and went uh no this is fine (laughs) just it was a drain pour yeah well yep that hurts but it was fun to hit uh to hit all those moments of just like this is a little past still drinkable this is perfect right on time and this is well past its prime (laughs) Anyway, so that uh, cool. so so I guess the the one other curiosity is um, uh, when it comes to cellaring or aging beer. I mean, obviously requires physical space. Yep. And in general, my understanding is you you want to try and find uh, somewhere that is dark, consistent temperature, uh, ideally lower temperature. Like I, I think it's like fifty to sixty degrees Fahrenheit, which is eight to twelve or eight to sixteen or something, something like, like that. Celsius. Yeah. Um, yeah. The 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 enemies of beer the enemies of beer quality are light and heat yeah so keep your beer out of direct light and keep it at a consistent temperature the so if you think about it this way you can easily you can easily cellar um you can easily cellar in a fridge there's lots of people who just use a fridge Hmm. as their cellar things take way longer yeah right a Colder temperatures keep things fresher longer, and so it delays the aging process, right? right? Um, The warmer it is, the faster those changes are going to happen because just about all, not every single one, but just about all chemical reactions are are sped up with higher temperature, right? right? So, yeah, so so like all of these changes are going to happen quicker. And so if you have them at above room temperature, you're going to get a lot closer to that four year porter that you had where it's going to be not good anymore. Yeah. So 
you know, that's, that's kind of, that's, that's a big part of it. Yeah. So yeah, you want a constant temperature because fluctuations in temp- temperature is bad too. Yeah. Um, cause some things will happen and then they won't and then it'll happen in this. So like that can be bad too. Uh, if you're going to age beers, keep them standing up cause yeah. it, it exposes the, the least surface area to any oxygen. Okay. Um, cause no, no beer cap is a hundred percent perfect. No cork is perfect. Nothing's perfect. So keep them standing up because then you only have the neck sized area exposed to any oxygen coming in through the cap. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. And the other, uh, as as someone who has tried to, to to age some beers, I think like probably not taking it too seriously is fine. <laughs> like uh I I mean again, you know, we we both live in apartments. There's no cellar available. There is not like consistent cellar temperature available. There, you know, just uh so probably we're not getting the optimal experience but you know what it's fun to age things see what they see what happens to them see how they're different like totally i feel like it's very easy if you just go and read up on how to sell our beers there's going to be a lot of advice about how to do it properly and it probably involves owning your own house yep. and having a cellar or digging one digging and etc etc et like it's you know just buy some beer that you think might be different in a little bit of time and then try it and, and see what happens because that's what we've done and uh, results have been good so far. Yeah, and um, if you do want to get into aging beer, um, there is a lot of good resources online. There's a couple of, there's a, I think it's called seller.me. Like there's oh. a website that you can track your beer seller with. And so like you input what you have and um, I think you can probably connect with community that way. Yeah. Or do it the old school way of create an Excel spreadsheet. Yep. These are the beers that I have so that you know what's in there. But yeah, like John said, don't take it so don't yep. take it too seriously. I uh the the way that I kept track cuz I I found when we moved to to Toronto, I found that I was buying more beer um than I drank and so beers just kind of started aging themselves without me intending to. And then in order to keep them keep track of them, uh inspired by my wife's dad, uh I just took little stickies and I wrote when I bought them, like month and year, and then uh. just stuck it to the neck of the bottle. So that if you look, you're like, "Oh, I bought this like a year ago." <laughs> Um, cause otherwise I would just forget and then suddenly end up drinking year old IPAs and thinking this is terrible. <laughs> that's good. I like that. Yep. All right, cool. I think that that's a good place to tie off the aging. Yeah. And that aging thing. And that is going to lead into the beer we're going to drink. Yeah. So, um, as explained, it's the, it's the Unibrew Grand Reserve 17, uh, years 2013 through 2016. Yes. So, uh, I'm going to crack those open and get started with that. That's right. Okay, so the way we're going to run this vertical is we're going to go youngest to oldest. So the first one we're trying is the 2016 vintage version. Yep. Cheers. Cheers. That's tasty. Yeah. It's tasty. It's, um, you can kind of, like, there's a bit of warmth in there. Mm Mm-hmm. Like there's a bit of alcoholic warmth that comes from being a 10% beer. It's a Belgian strong ale, like dark strong ale style. And very much has a lot of those same notes that you'd find in, in Belgian doubles or quads. Yep. Those kind of dried fruit, raisiny, yep. kind of plum-ish characteristics. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some... Uh... Yeah, I guess, I guess plum is probably the closest. This one seems... Very carbonated. I keep it. It's making me burp. Yeah, they're all um, they're all corked. So yeah. the the bottles are corked. I believe. Actually, I forgot to check on the bottle. I believe they are bottle conditioned. Yeah, so, probably. Yeah, that's tasty. It's got a lot of um, it's a little bit, and like I'm saying this 
I, w- I don't think I would normally pick this up, but because we've been talking about it for a while and I think that it's going to change for the, like going to the next year, there's some kind of like, not to say harshness to it, but it, it does taste a little bit rough around the edges. You know, there's like off the top, it's a little bit sharp. Um, I think that's some of the alcohol. Yeah. Um, but then it's also like some almost like unintended spiciness maybe. Yeah, there is, there, there is a bit of spiciness is a good way to describe it. And it's good, but you're right in that it feels like there's there's a lot going on. It's very kind of forward. There's a lot of maltiness and a little bit of that spiciness, uh, maybe from the yeast. Uh, yeah. Like, so probably. It's yeah. It's it's really nice. It's similar to what I remember when I have had the beer in previous years, young as yeah. well, like in 2013, 2014. Yeah. I tended to buy two bottles, one to age and one to have in the moment. And this is very much this is, as far as I can remember, very similar to the style. So. I mean, we've talked previously about how sometimes, you know, a brewery puts out a beer, but it's slightly different every year. I think this beer, they sort of keep fairly consistent recipe-wise. So it will be interesting to see. I, like, hopefully that means a bit more of consistency to see how it's aged over time. Yeah, totally. Um, Tasty. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. We could give this a rating. Um, we we could also just wait until we tried all of them and then give a sort of ordering or compare like. Let's do in that. The, in, in the scale of the four that we're going to try, yeah. how they stack up for us. Let's do that. Yeah. Let's do that. Cool. Cool. All right. We're on to the 2015 vintage. Looks the same. Smells a bit different. Mm-hmm. Tastes considerably smoother. Yeah. Considerably smoother. Yeah. This actually, this hides the alcohol pretty well, I think. Mm-hmm. The, the, the booziness has gone down. It doesn't have as much of the flavor of that sort of raisiny dried fruit flavor, I think. There's just kind of, there's a more of a general sweetness, I think. The flavor's yeah. still there, but it's more muted. And like yeah. you were saying earlier, sweetness has gone up as it's gotten older. Yeah, and it doesn't have like, again, it's probably this was like a, a cognitive bias where I was expecting it. Um, but it's not as sort of rough around the edges as the, as the 2016. Like mm-hmm. it is quite a bit smoother. It's... Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I think between the two so far, I like the 2016 one more, even though it's a bit more bold. It's it's like it's a bit more unbalanced and it's a bit bolder. But um, this one feels, to me at least, muted to the point of you know it's not that it's bad, but I think between the two, um, this feels under, whereas the 2016 feels over. Interesting. And it's like they're it's like they're surrounding a certain like. Pinpoint. Right. All right. Interesting. I think I, I like this one the most. Hmm. Or I, I like this one more of more of the two. Like there's a depth of flavor that I think that maybe the 2016 didn't show. Yeah, I think that's true. Like it, there's some aftertaste that you... Because on the 2016, because it was a little bit, like you said, bolder, a little bit... You taste the booze a little bit more. You taste it was a little bit rougher kind of stuff like that. Um it had more sort of standout flavors. This one kind of there's a you know there's some aftertastes and some some more delicate flavors that you can that you're picking up on that the 2016 didn't have. Yeah, that's true. This is gonna be a dumb analogy, but I'm staring at the recording uh, thing. Uh, the spikes like the 2016 is like an EKG. It goes up and down, de- like it's very sharp, mm-hmm. and then the 2015 is more like a sine wave. More like, like a sine wave. A, yeah, <laughs> interesting. That's a pretty good analogy, actually. I like that. But yeah, this one is definitely really nice. And I agree that this is probably a more, the maturity, the the year that it sat in the bottle has done it well, yeah. I think. For whatever reason, I think 
the flavors that were accentuated, maybe even over-accentuated in the 2016 were ones that I quite liked. And so on a personal level, I think I like that one more. But this is definitely the the better example of the beer, I think. this There's more nuance to this one. Yeah. You're very right, though, that it doesn't have the same... You can't pinpoint, oh, that tastes like a raisin. Or, oh, that tastes like whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, there's kind of a dried fruit thing going on. Yeah. But you can't pinpoint it tastes raisiny, it tastes plummy, it tastes like it tastes kind of it is more of just like a general malty sweetness. Yeah. Which is which is nice. It's yeah. t- it's oh, tasty. For sure. But and I'm I'm curious to see if that's something we'll see even more so as it ages. Like yeah. do the individual flavors start to blend more and so you lose the individual uh, the individual tastes that you can that are accentuated, but a general more consistent flavor is developed as a result mm-hmm. as the sort of, as, as everything blends. I'll be interested to see. Yeah. And we're on to 2014. Looks the same. Yep. Does look the same. Smells pretty similar to the 2015. Yeah. It almost tastes like cinnamon. Actually. Yeah. The, the sort of spicy notes from the 2016 one, feel much more accentuated. It's yeah. got the sweetness. It doesn't feel more sweet nope. than the 2015, but has the similar, like, the individual flavors have sort of blended. There's yep. a general malty sweetness. But you're right, there's a there's a, a spiced flavor to this. It almost, yeah, it almost feels like a, um, like a, like a, a mulled beer. Yeah, almost. actually. That's nice, actually. It's, I like it. It's different. It's not what I would have expected. It also, um, it doesn't taste as boozy. No. It doesn't taste the, it doesn't taste the alcohol. No. Um, no, but it's interesting to see that like that sort of one individual flavor has become accentuated. Yeah, and that could also, I mean, in spite of it being probably the same recipe year after year, obviously, you know, difference in production sure. systems, facilities, like something could have changed in this specific recipe. Yep. But it's interesting to see that, yeah, there's there's a lot of the same things that we noticed in the 2015 version, but there's, yeah, that it's like a mulled wine, but with a beer as a base. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So all of these, this is always released in a, in a 750 milliliter bottle. And so one of the things that you probably want to do with verticals is have some friends around. Share them. Yeah. Oh boy, share um, them. It's, it's, it's the best way to do things uh, for a number of reasons. But so like having this taster, like where we have a taster size glass and that I feel like is the best way to have this one. This is really nice. I don't know if I'd want more than a few ounces of it. Yeah. But it is, it's really nice and feels uh, very much like um, those sort of spiced winter ales that you can get, like we were talking about a couple minutes ago. Yeah. This almost reminds me of like the Father John's from House Hound. Yeah, or actually, something that's, like that. Yeah. Like some of those more spicy Christmas beers. Yeah. But really, which, like which is this, interesting. this has a really nice balance to it. Because mm-hmm. again, we were talking about how the, the, the younger version is kind of this brash. It's got a lot of kind of not necessarily harsh, but like over accentuated notes of certain flavors. And mm-hmm. it feels like as these are getting older. Again, certain things are becoming more accentuated, but in general, like the blend here is really nice. It's really mellowed in a in a super nice way. I mm-hmm. feel like, mm-hmm. yeah, I like that. Yeah, that one's good. I don't know if I have much more to say about it, but that's yeah, that's quite nice. I, yeah, I don't really have anything else to say about it. Yeah. Okay, so we are on to our final four of four, uh, the 2013 version. That's good. I think that's my favorite of the four. 
It's yeah, I agree. The sweetness that we've had in the last couple of years, like the 2015 and the 2014, has subsided a bit. The spiciness from that last one is still there. It feels like some of those um, kind of fruity flavors are back a little bit. I don't know if they're back or just because the sweetness has subsided, they stand out a little bit more again. But yep. it feels like the it's the the balance the balance that was starting in that last one has kind of further accentuated. So like it's there are more flavors going on. It's less harsh than the 2016 than the young version. But yeah, there's there's a lot going on, but it's all really nice. Yeah. Yeah. This one's this one's good. I think this one actually smells the most different of like the aroma of this one is the most different of the other of the four. It's got it like this one feels like kind of the maltiest. Mhm. Because maybe it's because I think that the yeast flavors have subsided the most compared to the other ones in this one, and so it's the 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 sweeter malt backbone is a little bit more pronounced because there aren't sort of the fruit like the really fruity esters. It's more of like the the malty sweetness. I think. Yeah. It's tasty. That's really good. It's got the kind of nice. Similar to the last one, a little bit of cinnamon, kind of spiciness, fruitiness. There's there's sweetness, but not overpoweringly so. Um, it's a little boozy, but not as much as some of the earlier ones. Like yeah. I, I easily think this of the four is my favorite. I would I would agree with that. It still continues down that trend that we had with the 2014. Of this tastes very much like a, a wintry, like a winter ale style yeah. beer. Yeah. Um, the flavors have accentuated to that point. It just feels, and you know, we're in January right now. It's been a colder than normal winter in Vancouver. So like this feels like the beer to drink for this time of year. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So of the four, I mean, for me, this is easily my favorite in a pinch. I'd say in descending order, it'd be 2013, 2014, 2016, and then 2015. So it feels like it's a beer that I prefer aged, but would rather drink young then have it age a little bit. So I'd want to age it for longer rather than shorter if I was going to age it at all. I think for me it went reverse chronologically. Okay. I liked the aged the best. And I mean, in terms of like 2014, 2015 kind of felt maybe a little bit interchangeable to me. Okay. Um, I probably could swap that, but I think probably I like 13 best, 14, 15, and then 16 the least. 60, and like that's not to say I didn't like 16 because like 60, if I were rating it just uh, like objectively the 16 probably I would give like a seven and a half out of 10 right like it yeah. was it's a tasty beer um I think but I think that in that order yeah is how I would have them yeah so oh, that makes sense it's interesting like definitely the amount of time that it aged certainly smoothed the flavors out and allowed certain things to be played up i think in general like the the youngest i think the thing that we agreed on was the the young version of the beer was the sort of harshest or most unbalanced mm-hmm. and certainly the 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 trend that it went towards as the beer got older was the flavors i think balanced a bit more everything kind of smoothed out like we were talking about it was this was an interesting kind of experiment um, and I glad we, I'm glad we did this. Like it was, it was neat to see how much it changed yeah. year, year to year because the 2016 to the 2014 and 2013, very different beers. Yeah. Like very different beers. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
and I don't like it did get sweeter as predicted and a lot like but I don't know that I was expecting that much change so. yeah I think I, th- I think that's that's definitely true given that I drank these beers young like I think 2013 2014 I had when they first came out right I don't think I had the 2015 one if I remember correctly but having them young and and getting a fairly similar experience as the as the mm-hmm. in the young versions of the beer it was really cool to see how much that changed as the as as time came into play as a factor right uh, for the flavor of it so yeah it was a it was a cool thing to do and i think this is the first time i've actually done a full vertical of uh of this length of four years yeah i've done a couple of like oh here's one year versus the next and maybe like one two three yeah but like this is the first time i've done four i think so yeah cool we're the experiment very Uh, much okay so i think that brings us to a close for this episode as always, follow us on Twitter. It's Hoppy Night CA. Keep your eyes open. There will be an Instagram account that should be active relatively soon. Yeah, we are getting it up and running. If you've got feedback or want to get in touch, shoot us an email at hoppynightincanada at gmail.com. Yep, the website is hoppynight.ca. As always, tell your friends. And stop stop by, give us a rating and review on iTunes. And as um, if, you know what? If you didn't like it, Tell us you didn't like it, but still give us five stars because it pushes yeah. us up to the top of the queue. Write like, as critical a review as you would like. Yeah, I like. I, I don't we'll mind throwing that five star rating. That's right. That helps. That helps other people discover the podcast. Uh, it pushes it, us up the queue. And as always, the the call for guests is still out. So if you are in a region of Canada that is not Greater Vancouver and you want to chat beer, feel free to drop us a line through social media or on email. We'd be happy to have you and uh, interested to hear what the craft beer scene is like uh, wherever you're living at this time. Yeah. And I think that brings us to the end. Yep. So this has been episode three, season two of Hoppy Night in Canada. I'm John. And I'm Dave. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.